Good morning. I am so glad you guys are here. Have you ever been asked to do something that you were not trained for or equipped for? And worse than that, have you been asked to do something you were not trained and equipped for, but you also had no talent for? Can I show you my worst nightmare? And this would never happen on this planet, but suppose, I've got a picture of this, suppose that on a given Sunday that Mark Hale said to me, next week, Rick, you're leading worship. There's a guitar, there's a microphone, it's all yours. You have the entire week to prepare for that. And the truth is, if I had until Jesus came back to prepare, it would not matter. I have not only no training, I have absolutely no talent. And if this Sunday ever came about, and I promise you it won't, if it did though, I would send you my Friday email and say, show up 15 minutes late on Sunday because you would not be able to worship the first 15 minutes. I promise you that. It would be impossible to worship then. I don't have that talent, nor do I have the gift or the training of Christian counseling. I've had one Christian counseling class in my life back in seminary a long, long time ago. I don't have the gifting from God to do that. So I got a call earlier this year. Actually, I got a text earlier this year from someone who said, we need, we we intensely need Christian counseling right now in a crisis. I knew a little bit about the background, that it was complex and lengthy and so forth, and I know I'm not gifted there, but I whispered this prayer to God and said, do you want me to, to make space for this? And I felt the sense of affirmation to do that, and so I looked at my schedule. The entire day was completely packed with people and events, and, but I carved out this 40-minute window, which if you know about Christian counseling and complexity, that is not enough time and space. So I carved out this window, and I said, if you can make it at this time, I'll be here. And so they came at that time, and the complexity was much more so than I imagined. The circumstances and issues and wounds went back decades. There were many people involved, and some of the most intricate deepest, most complex wounds imaginable. And so I'm listening to this, and if nothing would keep you from calling me for counseling, this would probably do it right here. This is how my mind was working as an engineer. I'm hearing all this, and I'm putting this equation of the problem together, and there are way too many unknowns in the equation to solve it, okay? Again, you'll never come to me for counseling after you've heard that. That's the way I'm thinking. There's, there's all these complexities, all these problems, all these unknowns, and I'm thinking that there's no way to solve this. But before they came in, I had whispered this prayer and said, I, I, know, I know that your Holy Spirit lives in me. And I know your Holy Spirit has all knowledge and all wisdom and all love and all grace. And if you would choose to, give me that wisdom and that truth and that grace. And so we're well into this, and, and all of a sudden, in my mind, the clutter begins to rapidly fall away. And there appears to be this one clean path, this one clean solution. And in much humility and tenderness, I said, this is what I see. This is what I think. And I gave them that one solution. And you could tell in the room, you could tell that the Spirit was working in them. Because you could see the, the tension and the stress. You could just feel it dissipating. And so I prayed and they left. I looked at my watch, 36 minutes. And that night, there was a text from them, and I love this because they knew who had done the work. There was a text that said, God met us today. In, in your office, God met us there. And God cleared out the clutter, and God gave the answer, and God gave the direction. And tonight, the whole world is different tonight because of what God's done. And I'm telling you this, to I hope, to whet your appetite about the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to teach today is, is foundational and profound and, and it could, for everyone in this room, it could change how you live this week. 
But I'm going to cover more ground and more scripture than I normally do. Uh, but but there's, there's this kind of potential for, for you to experience the Holy Spirit working and guiding in, in innumerable ways in your life. So the challenge is not just to listen, but to take notes as well. There's so much content that you'll need to go back to. There's so much content. I, w- I would encourage you to take notes as well. The series we've come off of in the Gospel of John sets us up for this. We referenced back at that time in John 16, verse 7, something that Jesus says. The disciples, I'm sure, they were thinking they had this golden era with Jesus. They recognized that King David never saw Jesus face to face and had meals with him and walked with him. Moses never had that relationship with Jesus. Abraham never did. They got it. They had this window. They thought, this is, this is the golden window of all of humanity. We are with him face to face. And so on this given night, he's telling them, I'm about to go back to the father where I came from. And they are distraught in that. And in John 16, 7, he says this to them. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate of the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. He's saying, when I send the Holy Spirit to you, it will be so much better than any day with me with skin on in front of you. I don't know how many of you Christ followers have thought this. I suspect all, because I have. I'm so tempted to think if I, if I only had Jesus here face to face, if I only had the, the, you know, the good fortune of the disciples, if I could see him with skin off, if I could touch him, if I could eat with him, that would be the, the golden day, the golden week, the golden three-year run. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 the golden run is what's going to come when I leave because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. And then in John 14, 17, within that same setting, he would say this, which would give a window into why it would matter so much. It says, Jesus would say, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He's saying the Holy Spirit has always been here, has always been at all places in all times. He's been here. He's been with you. But here's the change. He's going to begin to live in you. He's going to take up residence in you, and that will change everything. And then a few days later in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, he would say this. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, she'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave until you receive the gift, okay? So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but now he will live in you. He will take up residence in you. If you will, he's going to begin to live in your house, if you will. And it made me wonder, if you had someone move into your physical house, wherever you live, if you had someone move in, wouldn't you want to know a lot about them? If someone's taken up residence inside your house, especially if it's permanent residence, if someone moves into your physical house and they're not moving out, wouldn't you want to know everything about them if they live in your house? Well, in this very real sense, Jesus says the Holy Spirit, for everyone that's a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and begins to live in their house. So we're going to look at today, we're going to look at who this is that's taken up residence in the life of every Christ follower in this room. I've studied the Holy Spirit a number of times, but I, I didn't grasp how pervasive the Holy Spirit is throughout all of Scripture. 
In Genesis 1, verse 2, is the first time the scripture, or first time the Spirit is mentioned. It's the second verse of all scripture the Spirit's mentioned. Revelation 22, 17 is the fifth to the last verse of all scripture, and the Holy Spirit's mentioned there. So from the second verse to the fifth to the very last verse of all scripture, and a multitude of times in between, the Spirit is mentioned again and again. And we can't talk about the Holy Spirit without touching on this reality, this concept called the Trinity, which is completely, fully biblical, okay? Let me walk into this. The Trinity, in essence, says that there is clearly one and only one God. Scripture says that again and again. But in some mysterious way, in this one and only one God, there are three persons of God that make up the one God. There is Father, Son, and Spirit. One of multiple places that speak into this in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying of of this one God, there are three persons of this one God. Now, from biblical time to this day, followers of Jesus have tried to understand that and fully comprehend that. And to this day, the answer has always been, this is well, this is reality. This is, what, this is who God is. Somehow it's beyond human comprehension. Somehow there's a complexity of God beyond what we as human beings can understand. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. If you think about the complexity of creation, then you would think the creator would be infinitely more complex in his creation. And we look at creation. In fact, if you look at the, at the um, smallest building blocks of creation... Era after era, we understand that what we once thought was the smallest building block is no longer. There's more complexity. There's something even smaller that's the fundamental building block of the universe. When I was a kid growing up, uh, the, the knowledge that existed, what I was taught was the smallest building block of creation is the atom. It's as small as there is. When I was growing up, wasn't that long ago? It was the 20th century, guys. It wasn't the 19th century. It wasn't that long ago. You know what? Now now they say the atom's not the smallest thing. Now there's something called a quark that's smaller than that. There are a couple other things that are smaller than that. And, and once again, we're discovering we don't know the half of the complexity of what the Creator's made. And then there's this macro level of the, of the universe. Not only is it bigger than we ever dreamed and discovering it's bigger and bigger and bigger. It's more complex than ever dreamed before. There are these black holes we're discovering now that have, they're packed with stunning energy that, that we didn't even know about when I was a kid. There's this complexity, and how much more complex would we think the Creator would be? And how could we think that we, a very finite mind, could fully comprehend the infinite Creator? I'll give you a brief analogy. We have a dog, and um, granted, um, I think he's in the lower percentile, percentile of intelligence with dogs. And I know your dog is in the, in the top 10 percentile of dogs. I know that. All of your dogs are there, but mine isn't. So even if we took your dog, does your dog fully understand the complexity of you? My dog, this is what he understands. He understands that in the evening we walk to get the mail. He understands that. And he understands that I am the infinite source of food. He gets that. He doesn't know I buy the cheapest food. Don't tell him that. He doesn't know that. But I'm the infinite source of food. And, and maybe he knows, maybe he recognizes some some extreme emotions, but he doesn't begin to understand the complexity of my emotional world. He doesn't begin to understand my thoughts. He doesn't begin to understand my decisions. How could he? 
How could a dog comprehend a human being? How could a human being comprehend fully and understand the God of the universe? So God says, I'm, I'm one God, and yet I am three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. God's left some analogies. Some of you in the room have heard me speak of this. One of the analogies in creation about the Trinity is this single compound that we call H2O. There's this one single compound. It is one compound, H2O. And yet there are three distinct expressions of H2O, aren't there? There's this solid expression of H2O. What do we call it? Ice, right? There's also a liquid expression. It's still H2O. What do we call that? Water. There's also this gas expression of H2O. What do we call that? Steam or vapor, right? All of those. There's this one compound, and yet there are these three expressions that we see and recognize. And then there's this thing called the triple point at a certain pressure and temperature. You get all three expressions in the same place at the same time. And more than once, I've looked down on pavement, and I've seen ice, and I've seen liquid water, and I've seen water vapor rising all at the same time, same place. Just this one expression of God saying, guys, you can't fully comprehend. I'm one God, but I'm three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're going to focus on the Spirit today. And for seven weeks now. So here's some key learning. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force, not an energy, not a thing, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Always referred to in Scripture as he, as a person. The Holy Spirit, there are different things that we're told about it. To understand the Holy Spirit has a mind, like a person does. Has a will, like a person does. Has emotions, like a person does. Holy Spirit has a mind and has will and has emotions as a person does. Ephesians 4.30 expresses a glimpse of those emotions. It says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he, again, he's a person. Remember, he has identified you as his own. Guaranteed, guaranteeing you'll be saved on the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, and emotions. A.W. Tozer, a highly regarded pastor and author, would write this. He would say, the Holy Spirit is as real as matter, but is another mode of being than matter. We understand things that are made of matter that are tangible. He's saying the Holy Spirit is as real as anything you can touch and see and taste. But the Holy Spirit's not made of matter. The Holy Spirit is another mode of being than matter. The Holy Spirit lives in this other dimension of reality, in this spiritual dimension, just as real, just not materially tangible. And when you wonder what the Holy Spirit is like, the the best single word answer is, He is just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus in heart and mind and character and attitude, the identical replica. As Jesus would say, as Scripture would say about Jesus, Jesus is just like God the Father. It says the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. In fact, on more than one occasion, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Acts 16, 7 is one of those places. Philippians 1, 19 is another. Galatians 4, 6. 1 Peter 1, 11. There, There's so much similarity of the character and the makeup that the reference is to the Spirit of Jesus oftentimes. Okay, so we're trying to sort out who's, who's living in your house or if you're not a Christ follower, who could be living in your house someday? And I want to spend the rest of the time focusing on on the work of the Holy Spirit 
in, in different sectors, the work of the Holy Spirit. The first sector I want to look at is the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to Jesus. What is his work in relation to Jesus? This is key. It's always that he glorifies Jesus. Always he glorifies Jesus. John 14, 16, 14, John 16, 14, Jesus says, He, the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit in your life, the one that's taken up residence in your life, he will always be pointing you to Jesus and the wonder of Jesus. He will always be showing you different aspects of Jesus and Jesus' character and Jesus' actions. Always. He will always be pointing to the glory of Jesus. Okay? The work of the Holy Spirit then in relation to the world. Let me give you a couple things. One is he's active in the creation and preservation of the world. He's active in the creation and the preservation of the world. This one that lives in you. In Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning... A lot of you would know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The one that's taken up residence in your house, he's the one that created this universe. All of the power to do that, all of the creativity, all the knowledge that he lives in you, he's the co-creator of all that with the Father and the Son. I mean, that person, if you're a follower of Jesus, he, he lives in you. It's not just that he created the, the macro. In Job 33, 4, it says, For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The one that's taken up residence in your house, it, it's not this, um, this one who has great knowledge of the big picture and has great power and great all that. It's this one that, that knows you with such intimacy because he made you. Co-creator of you with the Father and the Son. He knows every single detail about you, more than you will ever know of yourself. There's this intimacy that he has with you and toward you. He didn't just make the universe and, ha- and the one that lives in you has all that power. He tenderly has made you. And he's taken up residence in you. Another part of the work of the Spirit in relationship to the world, he witnesses and draws the world to Jesus. In John 16, 8 through 11, Jesus would say, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. And righteousness is available because I go to the Father. So if you're sitting here, you're a follower of Jesus, you could probably think back to a day. Maybe you don't know the calendar date, but think back to a time. You became so aware that, that you were a sinner like everybody else, and you needed a Savior. It became crystal clear to you, or you were in deep trouble without a Savior. And then it became clear to you that Jesus is that Savior. It was the Holy Spirit showing you all of that. It was the Holy Spirit loving you enough to say, you're a sinner and you're, you're in deep trouble, but, but there's, you know, God, Father, Son, and myself love you so much. The Son died for you, and here's the pathway to relationship with, with us. It was the Holy Spirit that did all that. He's the one that witnesses and draws the world to Jesus. Okay, here's the work of the Spirit in relation to Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the inspirer of Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 
It says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. Okay, no prophecy in Scripture. And in the context Peter's writing, he's saying everything revealed of God, in other words, every word in Scripture, it didn't come from the writer's own ideas or concepts or anything else. It said, it said those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So the Bible that you possess, every single word exists because the Holy Spirit was the one that stirred 40-plus authors over a 1,500-year span, stirred every single one, one by one, and said, here, let me show you what to write in this book. Let me give you the words of Holy Scripture in this book. So the Holy Spirit is the author of all of this that you and I read and study and learn and grow from. Not only that, he is the interpreter of Scripture. He's the interpreter of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 12, and verse 14. It says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. No one can know know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And you've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given to us. So even how how to interpret, how to understand what's packed in Scripture comes from the Holy Spirit who's taken up residence in your house. It goes on in verse 14 to talk about those that don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. And so as you and I study this, it's, it's the Holy Spirit living in you that makes the light bulbs come on. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to the church. First, he creates the church. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. We'll talk more about this next week. He creates the church. The, the worldwide church, it would not exist if the Spirit didn't launch it 2,000 years ago. Individual expressions of the church like FCC is would not exist. We wouldn't exist if it weren't for the Spirit creating FCC as a small part of the bigger church. He also, he imparts gifts to the church. In other words, he gives abilities to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 4 through 6. He gives spiritual gifts. For example, the worship team that has been up here today, God's given them these gifts of leading worship, hasn't he? He gives that to the church. He gives people with gifts. There are others with gifts of administrative ability he's given to this church so the church can be administered well. Others, the gifts of being able to shepherd and guide and teach children well. And some are in this room, some of those in this room, some are down the hall. The, the spiritual gift of being able to guide, lead, and shepherd students well. Some are in this room that have that ability. Some have the ability to lead, some have the ability to teach, some have the, the gift of hospitality. Very recently, I was talking with a person who was telling me their story about, about coming to FCC. And they came to FCC over 12 years ago. And they began to unfold the story of that given Sunday. And, and they they told me the name of the person that met them outside the door. And they said they felt such warmth and love and embrace, and they felt so comfortable because this person, by 12 years later, they told me this person let me, met me out there and made me feel so welcome. And after that intro, I couldn't wait for this person to tell me about the impact of the message that day, how their life was changed. But the story ended with the person they met outside the door there. 
And I, I know, I happen to know the person that they were describing from 12 years ago. And this person has such a stunning gift of hospitality. I mean, that, and, and who gave that gift? For the benefit of the church? The Holy Spirit. The one that has taken up residence in your house. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to witness. In Acts 4, verse 31, the church is brand new. The church has been telling people about Jesus being risen from the dead and being the Lord of all lords. And they're beginning to be persecuted about that. So they pray and they ask God to give them boldness so they don't quit. In 431, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. There was this power the Holy Spirit gives to those in whom he lives. I have a friend who, in the past year, had a very, very high-level job interview. In fact, he was meeting with the highest executives of the company. It was a, an evening dinner meeting around a, a table in a really fancy restaurant. And so the dialogue is unfolding. And at some point, they ask my friend, they say, what, what matters most to you in life? What fuels you? What drives you? And he hadn't intended to go there, but they ask. And so he said, what, what drives me and fuels me in this life is Jesus. And they looked at him with this puzzled expression, and they said, what do you mean? He had intended to tell them, but they asked. <laughs> and so he began to describe what he meant. It took a while for them to even begin to conceive of it, but he went through the, all of that, and then they said, yeah, yeah, but what do you want to accomplish in life? And, and there were some career accomplishments he could tell them that were very real, but he said, honestly, what I want to accomplish more than anything is to be in be in." places and circumstances where I could help people know and follow Jesus. And so the dinner ended, and he told me a day or two later, he said, you know, I don't think anything's going to come of that. And I suspect that God set that interview up just so I could tell them about Jesus. And God gives boldness and power to the church. That man was the church at that table that day. The Holy Spirit gives power and boldness. The Holy Spirit guides the church. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides. And this is how, this is one of the ways it plays out in FCC. We have a board of directors, and there are a thousand decisions that have been made the last 18 plus years. And as we are, we're seeking an answer and solution and direction for FCC. We recognize that the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. We recognize the Holy Spirit always has the answer. We recognize the Holy Spirit would give the same answer to every person on the board. We ask you a question about the church, what the church should do. The Holy Spirit's not going to give different answers. And so over the course of 18 years, there have been some occasions that we'll be thinking, praying, wrestling, and, and we're sensing different directions to go. And we know, we know around the room that one or more of us just hasn't heard accurately because the Holy Spirit would say the very same thing. And so we've always just given time and space and sometimes a lot of time and space. And in 18 years, we've always come to the point where every single person in the room gets to the point of having heard the very same thing from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides the church, gives clear guidance to the church. Okay, the Holy Spirit creates fellowship and unity in the church. Philippians 2, 1. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? 
any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And Paul's asking these as hypothetical questions to the church because he knows the answer. The answer is yes to all of those. And so when he asks the question, any fellowship together in the spirit, he knows yes. If the spirit is given space to prevail, absolutely so. And I found myself thinking about the diversity in FCC, diversity of age, diversity of race, of ethnicity, the diversity of of economics, the diversity of social background, the diversity of a spiritual journey. And we cover such a massive, massive waterfront. And I know we're far, far from perfect, but usually there's this stunning unity. Usually, usually I sense a bond with people that are here that goes beyond blood. And most of you do as well. Because the Holy Spirit, one thing the Holy Spirit does, the one that's taken up residence in your house, he's the one that gives this supernatural unity where the world can't even imagine how it happens. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, finally, this is the last section, and this is about you as an individual. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to the individual Christian. First, he causes new birth. The new birth that you Christ followers have actually came from the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So all of you Christ followers, it was actually the Holy Spirit that gave you a brand new life. It was the Holy Spirit that saw your sins were washed away and gave you a brand new eternal address. And Jesus Himself would say in John 6, 63, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. The Spirit alone does that. So this one that's taken up residence, he's the one, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's the one that's given you this brand new life. Okay? Then he instructs. He instructs a Christ follower. 1 Corinthians 2.10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So he instructs, and I would, I would say that in terms of, of instructions on principles and context and things of God and things of humanity, all the big picture. But beyond that, he guides. He guides. Acts 8.29 says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, and Philip was just another Christ follower. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. It's just another day. And Philip is going about his day, and the Holy Spirit lives in his house, <laughs> And the Holy Spirit chooses on that day to say, hey, Philip, I got, it. I got some specific instructions for you. There's a carriage over there. I want you to walk beside it. When you get there, I'll tell you what to do next. As I was preparing this and I walked in this morning, I was here for the band to rehearse, and I looked up, and, and Kim Sadbury is playing bass today. And I did a flashback to, to January. We had this, uh, I had this interview on stage with Tony and Amanda Sumney. And they were telling their story about the tornado that hit and how God's worked and everything. And, and the whole story only unfolded because the day before the Holy Spirit spoke clearly, clearly to Kim Sadbury and said, I want you to go to Alvin tomorrow and find that man. You don't even have a name. You don't know who he is. Go to Alvin and find that man. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit directs. He gives personal direction to us. The Holy Spirit transforms. In Ephesians 4, 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. 
How many of us this week or this month or this year have thought, oh, I wish I so long for my thoughts to change. I so long for my attitudes to change. Scripture says that the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. That's, that's one reason he took up residence in me and you, is to change my thoughts and change my attitudes as well. And then Galatians 5, and 23 talks about how the Spirit increases in us love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on and on. The Holy Spirit then empowers us to serve. Jesus would say in Acts 1.8, he would say, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come and give you power. He will come and give you power. And then the final one, he gives spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, and 7 says this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. We'll spend a Sunday on this down the road. But in simple terms, a spiritual gift is an ability that God has given to a Christ follower. And it's not only a, a, an ability that they have, it's one that the Holy Spirit will empower and bring results from far beyond what that person could ever do. It's an ability that God gives that person. But not only will they live out within that ability, but the Holy Spirit will give, give power to that activity They'll bring results far beyond the person could ever, ever do on their own, okay? And so this says the Holy Spirit is the source of all of these gifts. And then it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Each, every Christ follower is given at least one spiritual gift. Okay, so, so who lives in the house? If you're a follower of Jesus, who lives in the house? The Holy Spirit, and we've only touched the surface is the Holy Spirit who has all power, has all knowledge without exception, has all wisdom, has all holiness, has all love, has all grace, has all truth, has all of that. He lives in your house. He's taking up a residence inside of you. It's even hard to comprehend how does, how does all of that Somehow take up a residence. And I found myself wondering how many of us are taking full advantage of the fact that he lives in us? How many of us are living out and engaging and taking full advantage of the reality that the Holy Spirit has moved into your house? When Marie and I, (laughs) we got our first house as a couple, Marie's parents visited and, and her dad great handyman, could fix all kinds of stuff. And so they didn't move into our house. Well, they did for three or four days, and then they went home, which that's a great way to do it. If you're, you know, if your parents are in-law, that's a great way to do it. They came for three or four days. They moved in for three or four days. And I have this stuff that I can't repair. It's very frustrating. I have Marie's list, and she's reminding me often the list is not getting checked off. And there's a reason for that. I don't know how to do it. And so her parents come, and they move into the house, for three or four days, and there's this gifted repairman, and I never once whisper the needs that are there. And there were two things at play. One was pride. I just wanted to do it all myself. I wanted to be able to pat myself in the back and say, I'm the man. I'm the man. I can do it. And then I didn't realize how much joy he just got from fixing stuff. But after about three visits, uh, my pride was worn down, and I had this long list. It was the same list I had the previous visit and the previous visit is still there. And I said, would you have any interest in helping me with this? 
help me. I didn't even know what to do. In other words, would you fix it for me? And, and he did in a heartbeat, and I saw the joy that he had, and that day began this, this deal. Every time he moved into the house, I would have a list waiting, and it was a win, win, win. My, my father-in-law was filled with joy. Man, he moved into the house, and he got to do what he most loved to do. And, and my wife was filled with joy, and therefore I was filled with joy. It was a win, win, win. I, I finally realized there's someone in the house that can do something I can't do, and I need that something. And there's someone in the house, if you're a follower of Jesus, who can do everything. And you and I need that everything that someone can do, and he longs to do it. He moved in to do it. This is what I would encourage you this week. Whether you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has moved in, or whether you're not yet a follower, but you know he could move in the moment you trust Jesus, spend some time this week reflecting upon this truth. Spend some time, I would recommend, I hope, every day reflecting on this and wrestling with this, pondering this. If you're a follower of Jesus, begin to ponder, how, how much am I even thinking about this? How much am I leaning into? How much am I asking him for help? How much am I just trying to do it on my own? A couple of things that might help you. One, the notes you've taken today might help you. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to post on the FCCExperience.com, which many of you use your phones to take notes on. Or you can actually just get it off, off uh, whatever. I don't understand this stuff, but Matt Patman does. He fixed it. And if you go there, there's going to be this deal that says Holy Spirit Summary that I wrote a while back. And it won't be exactly this message, but it's a one-pager that would help you reflect and ponder and everything would help you there. If you're not currently studying intensely in the Bible then I would suggest begin to study the book of Acts. We're going to be here for seven weeks, and if you were to carefully study about four chapters a week, you're going to find the Holy Spirit is woven through every single bit of that. Begin to ponder, begin to get your mind wrapped around who it is that, that does or could live in your house. And begin to ponder how deeply you're, you're leaning into who he is. He is everything. He's everything, and there's a whole new world out there. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it is as simple and as profound as this. One, you have to believe that he's the risen son of God. You have to believe that he would hear you if you prayed. And you have to say to him, I, I need forgiveness because I'm a sinner like everybody on this planet. I need forgiveness would you forgive my sins? And would you lead my life? Would you become Lord? If I surrender, would you lead? And if you were to do that today or tomorrow or Tuesday and authentically mean it, then um, he would change your life. You would be his. And in that instant, the Holy Spirit would take up residence in your house. Not a little of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, all the power, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the righteousness, all the love, all the truth, all the grace, all the Holy Spirit would move into your life and live inside of you. Father in heaven, I pray that your Spirit has been stirring us and giving us a hunger and desire to know more about you and your Spirit. I pray for us Christ followers wherever we are, that we would increasingly lean into, look to, grow in the Spirit. And for those that are not Christ followers yet, my prayer is they would become today 
even in this moment because of the wonder of a new life now and forever that would come. And so, Father, I, w- I pray there's some in this room now that have been holding out. And today would be the day they would say, Jesus, I too need a Savior. I too need forgiveness. I believe you're listening. Would you forgive me? Would you lead me? Because my intent is I will follow. I will surrender to your leadership. And, Father, in that moment then, in this room, there would be another house getting occupied by the wonder of your spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.